Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is John, and I have not read any of Garth Ennis's Preacher. And I am Nick, and I have read all of Garth Ennis's Preacher. Today we will be discussing episode 9 of the show, titled Finish the Song. While we will not be spoiling any of the comic by extension, any future plots of the show, uh, we will be discussing the details of the series through episode 9. So pause this, go watch the show before you listen to the rest of the episode. You can find more episodes of the podcast at g2tpodcast.com. That's G, number two, letter T, podcast. We're also G2T Podcast on Twitter. And you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show. Share your thoughts on AMC's preachers so we can read them on air. Send us corrections, observations, anything regarding our you know preacher or our podcast. So all that being said, we're going to jump right into it here. The teaser segment of the episode uh, opens in rain, uh, Ratwater over the schoolhouse with some kids doing multiplication, and uh, you see like a silhouette kind of take over the window. And uh, in the saloon, an Asian man is singing, and the whole saloon falls silent listening to him sing. Cowboy McTavish squeaks in the door, and the man stops singing as everyone turns to look. Preacher starts going off on how the town takes in all kinds of people and calls Cowboy McTavish the Butcher of Gettysburg. He goes on about how everyone can go to heaven if they can welcome Jesus into their hearts and ask the cowboy if he'll, he will accept Jesus. Cowboy says that he, he loves his horse and his wife and his little girl and that Jesus can join them in hell as he tosses a bunch of school kids' heads on the floor that he wrapped in the American flag from the schoolhouse and uh, asks the Asian man to finish singing as he slaughters the whole saloon, kills the pianist and, and the singing man, and then takes a drink as a wicked storm rolls in. Yep. Pretty intense scene. Yeah. So what, any, any additional thoughts as to like what the hell's going on? I really loved it. That's all. It I was know. awesome. <laughs> it was that that scene. the the, the opening teasers of, of the like the last like four episodes have been so good, mm-hmm. so good. Yeah the uh, the one in the previous episode was really, and I, I wasn't here for last last week's episode. The previous episode, and yeah. the opener for that one was really amazing as well. And finally, answered a question I've been wanting to have answered for a while: is what exactly was going on in that room, right? When uh, when. John Custer leaves yep. and, and Jesse looks in and sees like something horrifying is going on. So this uh, this episode, th- there have been in in a few episodes prior to last week's. I felt like it was kind of losing some of those real preachery moments that felt really like unique and things that made me sit forward in my seat and say, right. "Wow, that's different." And the opening of this one with the shot starting on the on the man's face singing and then just pulling back to reveal the whole saloon listening was really neat. Yeah. And weird. I was like, this probably never actually happened in the Wild West ever. Like it was right. just this very bizarre moment that I was like, this feels like something out of like Twilight Zone or something eerie and like doesn't make sense. Right. It was really cool. And then the line finished the song and then just going to reverse and just back in on him as everyone's getting shot is really sweet. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Phenomenally done. Indeed, I totally agree. Um, so we're going to keep moving here. And at full disclosure, I didn't really separate things by acts like nor- like Alex normally does because I had uh, procured this particular episode in a manner that is not normal. So I didn't have commercials to cut things up. So uh, I don't know the acts themselves. So we're just going to flip through scene by scene as we go. So the first scene here. You know what? I, I actually want that. That's cool because I watched it on an Xfinity on demand okay. app on my iPad rather than through AMC. Mm-hmm. And I think the commercials may have actually been in different places. They okay. might not have been, but they were spaced really weirdly. Like there was a commercial and then like 45 seconds went by and then another commercial. And then like 
20 minutes with no commercial and then it was really right. strange okay so. no so i don't even know i don't know what act is what but we'll start out here uh with the the scene opens with the sheriff driving jesse in the back seat of the sh- the uh, cop car the sheriff asks him where G- eugene is and uh, jesse replies that he sent eugene to hell and the sheriff starts talking about how uh he's got a friend who works at a prison and uh you know when jesse goes to prison for killing kids that the other prisoners don't really take too kindly to child killers and he talks about an inmate that had killed himself because of the way he was being treated, you know. And the and the preacher, you know, he tells the preacher that based on prison, he's going to wish he was in hell. And Jesse says, I'll see you Sunday, and breaks out of the cop car and runs away. Yeah. So that's that first scene there. Pretty funny. I, mean, the, I think the sheriff finally starts to realize that, you know, he's not messing around with, you know, just some measly little preacher. You know, he was able to break out of handcuffs or to an extent and, and, get, out of the, and <laughs> get out of the cop car, yeah, which is... Pretty impossible. Mm-hmm. Not that I would know. I've never been in the back of a cop car. Um, and then the uh, the scene flips to Fiore and DeBlanc walk, walking in the rain to a travel agent. They ask the agent to help them go to hell. The agent goes over some of their paperwork, uh, understands that they're undocumented angels on earth. And uh, they don't have enough money for the uh, the pass to hell, so the agent asks for 20 minutes with Fiore in the back, to which DeBlanc says no. And uh, the agent threatens to report them, and they threaten to report her, and she proceeds with processing their paperwork to send them to hell. And uh, any thoughts on that at all? Or that am, I mo- am I moving too fast? No, no, no. Okay. You're fine. That, was, that I thought was really interesting. There was something about uh, the way that the relationship between angels and, and demons or, or the, the way they operate on Earth that I didn't particularly like. In uh, in previous episodes, in regards to the one uh, Seraphim or whatever they they called her, the one who was trying to kill them, yeah. Uh, but this I did like, and I'm not sure why I thought this was different to me, but I did like it. I thought it was it was kind of entertaining. I mean, because the whole thing just comes off across as really silly, like the idea right. that they need that they they, just, they need pass they need a ticket to hell. There's like, a there's a yeah like a like a travel agent that right. that can send you to hell somehow, and I like. I just like how vaguely it's all handled. Like we don't really see much more beyond that, right? So it's it's good. Uh, it made me chuckle. I was like, okay, and and this this weird little lady who like locks her door, and yep. it's just the whole thing is just so closes over, the shades, so overly the, serious. And the sheet over the birdcage. Fiora and LeBlanc are so not serious that the whole thing is just right. really goofy. And the fact that she says twenty minutes in the bag with him, yeah, with the big, he just goes, so "That's what it takes," and just <laughs> yeah, starts to stand up. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, that was a, that was definitely a funny scene. Mm-hmm. Next scene uh, opens with Tulip at uh, her uncle's house, and the Emily's knocking on the front door. Tulip opens and lets her in, and uh, Cassidy apparently is not healing well, according to Tulip, and she explains to Emily that Cassidy's a vampire. And he's she's been giving him animal blood, um, but it's been you know it's not quite working. Like he needs you know more blood of some sort. So she's been getting guinea pigs from the local pet store and sends, you know, tells Emily she needs her to go and, and do it. And Emily tells Tulip that Jesse's in trouble. And Tulip says that, you know, she's she's done with Jesse Custer and Emily can have him. And Emily says that she has a boyfriend. It's the mayor who's cool, I believe is the phrase. She, yeah. yeah. He's cool, you know, <laughs> which is pretty funny. And uh, Emily asks where Tulip's going and Tulip replies that she's going to go kill a man in Albuquerque. So there's that. She's going after Carlos on her own. Uh-huh. Um, interesting scene. I think uh, the relationship between Tulip and Emily has changed a lot over the past couple episodes, which is kind of cool. That the they're all kind of they're now. It seems like everyone's kind of on the same page, you know? Yeah, or they at least uh, accept each other. Right. They, they can be friendly, and yeah. I I agree. I did like that scene as well. I think that the relationship between those two is really fun to watch. And the moment when Tulip's, you know, Tulip is so 
she, she's so like prickly around everybody and she's right. very like she always has this front up and when she says you can have jesse and emily says i have a boyfriend and she's like oh really and tulip just her tone her entire tone shifts away it's really yeah. funny she just kind of becomes she's a little bit sarcastic but it seems like she actually is having a bit of a normal conversation and it's kind of right. funny. and emily then emily's putting up this front of just like yeah it's great i'm really happy like he's right. he's been chasing me forever and so, tulip's just like you know. i don't believe you you know like, like, yeah. really why don't you tell me about him okay he's cool huh yeah <laughs> And then the uh, scene switches to the preacher. He's under a bridge with a couple of homeless folks, and uh, they help him get his handcuffs off. And they ask him, you know, how he plans on bringing God Himself to church on Sunday. And he says, "You'll see," <laughs> which yeah. is pretty funny. Uh, they proceed to feed him some pancakes so. and some Merlot. Yeah, and some Merlot <laughs> yeah, at, which, at ten a.m. Which think, is was, awesome. Yeah. yeah, I really uh, like that because he he knows them by name, by first right. name. And I it, can't remember their names. Now. Yeah, I don't. I think totally didn't take Shane, notes. Shane, right? maybe I, I don't. I don't really remember, but I did like that acknowledgement that Jesse kind of in ways fits in better with the riffraff than, right. than the normal so so-called normal folk and that he he at least is a good enough dude that he knows everybody you yeah. know he's actually at least taken that part of his preaching job seriously that he, he makes an effort to get to know who everybody is and that kind of thing it's just a nice a nice scene for sure I like I really really like the direction Jesse has shifted into but it's it's all happened so abruptly yeah like Jesse is the most like kind of pig-headed i guess arrogant also like in the whole the whole season so far beyond the pilot he's been very like he's been driving towards this one point and he hasn't been listening to anybody else right and now all of a sudden this like switch has flipped and we're kind of seeing a little bit more humanity in him that he had at the beginning of the series it seems to have happened quickly but maybe it's just because i've watched a few episodes back to back quickly maybe yeah that could be it you didn't give it time to process right. or whatever but it's it's refreshing though i like For i sure. like that jesse is once again becoming i guess it all comes to a head with uh with his revelation about uh uh our space right or eugene rather in the show but he uh it is it is nice to have a little bit more dimension to to jesse again indeed so uh the scene flips back to emily at uh at Tulip's uncle's house, and she is tiptoeing to the room where Cassidy is, and she's holding a live a guinea pig. It's a huge guinea pig. That was a giant guinea yeah. pig. Uh, and she gets a phone call from Miles saying that he's you know basically forcing himself into her place. He's going to be staying the night. You know she doesn't really have any say. <laughs> and uh, so she uh, she's just like, okay, yep, sounds good. Hangs up the phone, and uh, she goes and opens the door to Cassidy's room and sets the guinea pig on the floor and closes the door and locks it real quick and. Here's Cassidy kill the guinea pig, and she opens the door to see him, and he's tucked in the corner. He turns around and scares her, and she slams the door shut and leaves the room. Um, that's interesting seeing Cassidy in that light, in my opinion. Yeah, he uh, or not so much light, I guess. Yeah, in that in that phase, right? Yeah, it was pretty pretty gross and pretty like kind of freaky because you're used to, even though you as the viewer have a no- have knowledge from the first scene of Cassidy that he's a vampire. Right. He's very he's very fun to watch. He's very like charming and likable. Yep. And as a as a viewer you like him. And then you see him kind of for what he really is, just like a really gross, scary creature of the dark, like right. mon- just a monster and it's uh it's pretty shocking I think as as a viewer as well cuz you feel kind of a mixture of feeling bad for him but i also just kind of felt a little gross myself i was kind of like ew like yeah this is a guy you actively root for a lot and now you've seen him reduced to this like scabby creature eating a guinea pig now i feel like this this episode particularly i felt like had a ton of these like kind of jump scare moments 
like it was trying to like get you out of your seat. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it definitely has some unsettling parts for sure. It, it goes it goes like a little bit finally, more. It's finally doing all of this unmasking, you know, and like really showing you like who's it, what and what's what. And this is probably the episode that pushed the the TV limits oh, a yeah, lot for in sure. terms of what you can do. It's pretty it's pretty gross. Yeah, there's a lot, and there's a lot of just like blood and guts, and a lot of the violence is finally coming coming to pass for sure. Nobody got their dick shot off in this episode, but yeah, that yeah. was pretty funny in that last one. <laughs> uh, so scene flips to Fiore and DeBlanc are in the hotel. They're packing up their stuff and, and they're actually debating whether or not they want to go to hell or just go back to heaven. And uh, DeBlanc goes, well, you know, why don't we flip a coin? <laughs> if it's heads, we go to heaven. If it's tails, we go to hell. And, and uh, Fiore is like, oh, a coin flip. We haven't done that in a while or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's like, really funny. <laughs> And uh, so they, they basically, uh, you know, the first flip has them going to hell. You know, tails, they go to hell. And uh, Fiore looks at DeBlanc and goes, double or nothing. And so they do a second flip, and it's to heaven. They get super pumped and excited, and uh, DeBlanc tells Fiore to grab the phone. So Fiore goes to grab the phone from under the bed, and it's gone. And DeBlanc flips out on him about leaving the phone with a direct line to heaven under the bed. And then they basically just decide they better go to hell because there's no way they're getting back into heaven now. Yeah, that was a great scene. I really liked. I liked watching Fior weigh out the options when he was kind of like talking about going to heaven and dealing with them, and how that seems really shitty. And he's like, "I don't really want to do that." And then he goes, "Of course, on the other hand, we'll be going to hell." So, right, tough choice. I think is what he says, and it's it's really funny. These two, yeah, just they, their, their chemistry has just has just strengthened. I feel like with every with every scene with them, they become. I think we also become more comfortable with them. Like when you first yeah. first few episodes of the series, when you see them, you're just like, "Ew, these guys are gross. They're weird. I don't want to see them. I don't really want to deal with them." You're intrigued, but you're kind of repulsed. And now, I just love watching them whenever they show up. I'm like, "Okay, something." Yeah, they're gonna... hilarious because they're both like, they're just uh, they're like best friends, you know, and they're like they're inseparable. And if uh, yeah, that's what he says. He says if we go to heaven, they'll they'll, they'll separate, separate us forever. Us forever. forever. Right. And they're both like real sad. And I'm yeah. like, oh, that's kind of cute. And, and so it's like interesting to see, like we've definitely watched their whole relationship develop over time and become something much bigger. So that's pretty cool. Um, so the scene flips to Jesse hiding from a cop car driving by and you see he's got their phone tucked in his jacket. That's where there was a commercial. I do remember yeah. that commercial. Real, real, right that was like that. a real quick clip and then it switches to another scene. Mm-hmm. So he's basically kind of reminding you like who's got the phone, right. you know? Uh, and so it goes back to Emily. Well, I think he's. I think he's at the hotel, right? Is he behind? He, I think he, maybe he was behind the hotel. I thought I he couldn't was. tell based on the the positioning of the camera or anything. Like it I, wasn't very yeah. indicative. Of I like couldn't either, but I couldn't. I didn't remember him taking it. Yeah. So I thought he must have. Maybe he snuck in and took it. I, th- I think he's like in the back of the, the hotel, like hiding, and then he's about to. Yeah, cause, well, that would make sense because he was there when they uh, they were taking care of the seraphim. So they so he mm-hmm. kind of knows like where everything is. I guess if you know. It's his part of his skill set of knowing, you know, where things are, like having a photographic memory of sorts to like, (laughs) you know, remember details like that. Uh, But the scene flips to Emily at Tulip's uncle's house watching TV and uh, Cassidy yells that he's hungry. A key scene here, I think, is the movie that's playing on the TV, I believe, is Psycho. Yes. And I don't recall the exact scene, but it's talking about how like uh, basically feeling trapped. And uh, I was I read an interesting comment on Reddit about um, how this scene is very important because it's basically displaying to the viewers like Emily's sitting there watching this scene and letting all of this the, the dialogue sink in that she's basically trapped yeah. in her current relationship with Miles. 
And so Cassidy yells that he's hungry and he wants to be let out. And, and the scene flips to Miles at the King Cannon of Meat and Power watching men wrestle in Odin's office. What the hell was that all about? I don't even know. But just more, more good old boys. Odin's just, just chilling. He's yep. standing on top of his desk, drinking his brandy, like watching these guys wrestle. Like, just throw each other into the ground. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I guess that happens in the South. I, I wouldn't I, really know. I really love seeing what Odin does to pass the time. Yeah, <laughs> like he's all, all always... His facial expressions and mannerisms are just hilarious. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and uh, Miles gets a call from Emily saying that she's, you know, that uh, the quote, he's gotten out and she's in hiding. And Miles heads over to the house and goes in the room where Cassidy's being held. And Emily kind of jumps up on him, slams the door shut, and Cassidy kills him. Yep. So, interesting turn of events here. You know, as I was saying, like, uh, Emily was watching that, that movie and realizing that she's kind of trapped and she's got to get out. Well, here's your out. Yeah, it was pretty gruesome, I thought, actually. It was a weird change of pace for her character. Yeah. So. And I was like, wow, that's brutal. Like, the guy, yeah. poor Miles didn't really. Didn't see it coming. Not such a bad guy. Yeah. Didn't deserve <laughs> that. I, there, that reminds me, too, when, when uh, she's describing him earlier to Tulip, and she says, Miles, and she's kind of like, who? And to the mayor, and she's like, oh, yeah, your blonde hair. Khakis. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that she identified him by khakis is really funny. Yeah. Remember Alex and I laughing about that in a previous episode. That he's he was picking out his khakis like that. Choosing which which pair he was gonna wear that right. day is just really funny. But uh yeah, it's funny because I feel like it's a good it's a good way to get Miles out of the picture because he's clearly helping Odin. Right. And I'm trying to remember now, and I'm pretty sure he does tell Emily that, yeah, he does, he does, he does. Before, when he tells her about the church, and she says, what about the church? And he says, Odin's got it, he's going to destroy it, and I'm going to help him because that's going to help the town. So Emily is kind of, in a way... She's got her own motive. Yeah. Like, she's, other than just getting out of her relationship Yeah, she's also kind of trying to jam up Odin, which right. is interesting, in, the, in, a, in a very crazy way, and also helping... Cassidy, kind of, yeah, which is interesting because she doesn't really seem to care too much for Cassidy. So right. <laughs> it's not uh, maybe that's third on the list of why she's doing it, but it's still interesting. Indeed. So the uh, the sheriff gets a call to the Sundowner Motel, and he gets called to Fiori and DeBlanc's room, and he finds the Seraphim in the tub with her arms and legs missing. So we finally figure out what exactly Fiori did to her. Um, she basically sits there and begs the sheriff to kill her, which he you know gives in, strangles her. She reappears behind him as he's strangling her, and she leaves. Real quick scene. Yeah, that was really that. That was really brutal, and I think that that's that's a pretty huge scene for the whole kind of thrust of at least the comic. Yeah, and, and I guess sort of by the show, the idea that people and person in in Jesse specifically is let down by God and God's apparent just removal from caring what humanity does right. and you know Jesse's whole whole objective in the in the book is to make God answer for why he's abandoning creation basically why why do you know the age old question of why do bad things happen you know if if God's right. so good and that scene i thought was a really amazing way of displaying that because sheriff root is a pretty good dude and in the book he's a really bad dude and in the show, he's he's a pretty good character. Like he's a pretty decent human, right? And he's still trying to trying to get by. And we see some scenes that that he's he does some bad things. He says some aggressive things to to Eugene that are really nasty. But then he says uh, to Odin in the previous episode that 
you know, they have hard times, but without Eugene, he'd be lost. He's like, he loves him. He's a son. He says, I don't know what I'd do without him. Mm-hmm. And that's really sad. And in this, in this scene, Sheriff Rude clearly doesn't want to kill this woman, but he doesn't want to make her... He sees someone who's going to spend the rest of her life suffering, and in a way, he probably thinks of Eugene. Right. And, and that makes him sad to think someone else is going to be that way, because he thinks she's just a girl. And so he strangles her, and she reappears behind him and watches him while he's like clearly, like, you know... On a, at a breaking point. Right. And she just walks away. She doesn't tell him, like, hey, it's cool. I'm an angel. You just, you saved me. Which, you know, that would be crazy. And he would right. be like, oh, my God, his mind would be blown. But wouldn't it be a little bit merciful to let him know that he did a good thing? And and it was, it, it's okay, rather than he just, like, murdered a girl? You know maybe, what I mean? Maybe he did. Like, maybe he feels that way. Like, he did a good thing. And maybe, maybe he sees, like, I'm going to have to kill my son. Like... To, well, to save him, you know, maybe this, the, like you're, you're seeing this good character now. Maybe he's going to have the shift into being the bad character. That's true. And realize that, like, oh, oh, I need to, I need to put uh, Eugene out of his misery. I just think, you know, regardless of where where that decision sends Sheriff Root, I think it's a really, it's an example of you have an angel who's supposed to be good, a force of goodness and and reassurance to to a person, at least in our in our perception, right? And she chooses to let him live with this idea that he killed a girl in a bathtub who was missing her arms and her legs. You know, she doesn't reassure him or anything. She right. just walks away and lets him deal with it and process it. And I was like, wow, that's pretty intense. That's kind of brutal to let the poor guy just yeah. simmer on his conscience that he did that. Conscience. Or maybe he uh, maybe he will kind of feel, have, you know, he'll, he'll feel along the lines of like, you know, maybe Preacher did the right thing in, you know, thinking, like he's, he thinks, he thinks, Jesse killed Eugene. So maybe it's one of those things where he's like, you know, I'm doing this out of mercy and maybe Jesse yeah. did it out of mercy in a maybe. way. Or like maybe now, like since Eugene's gone, dead, killed, whatever, he's no longer going to suffer. It is weird about Eugene. I wonder what... He doesn't seem to have come to any real conclusion on what he thinks happened to Eugene. He's just kind of letting things happen right now. Right. I think we'll see, obviously we have to in the next episode, kind of what he's thinking. So yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so the next scene, it flips to Fiore and DeBlanc on the side of the road, which is actually a nice ode to Breaking Bad. The, it's the same road that Walter White and uh, Saul Goodman stand on the side of at the towards the end of Breaking Bad. I'm not going to give any more details for those who haven't watched Breaking Bad. If you haven't watched it, you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, the tourist bus rolls up, <laughs> and the driver says, no carry-ons. And Fiore looks at DeBlanc and says, what about my comics? And DeBlanc says, it's all right, my dear, leave them behind. And this, I was, again, reading on Reddit, this was a pivotal scene because this was basically like the, you know, uh, Seth Rogen and uh, what's his name? The other guy. Leaving the comics behind. Yeah. (laughs) You got to leave the comics behind, guys, and just move on and like let it happen, you know, see where things go. Uh, So I I found that kind of an interesting little nod to not only Breaking Bad, but the, you know, readers of the comics like, hey, guys, like this is something different. So maybe from here, there's going to be a much bigger departure from the comics. Well, it's funny, too, because the comics are literally baggage in the show. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think about it that way, but that makes perfect sense. Um, And then so the scene flips and uh, Emily is letting some of Cassidy's guinea pigs, his guinea pig snacks go free. And Jesse shows up looking for (laughs) Tulip. And Emily says that she went to Albuquerque and tells Jesse that his mate is inside. And Jesse goes inside and Cassidy tells him to go away because it's not safe. Jesse sees that Cassidy killed Miles and says, and uh, and Cassidy says he'll you know he'll kill Jesse too. Cassidy says, "I told you what I was, and now you see." And Jesse says that he can't leave, 
and that he's not going anywhere. And uh, Jesse says that Cassidy saw what he really was, too, and that he's really sorry for letting Cassidy burn for that long. And Cassidy replies that all that matters is that Jesse put him out. So they decide to uh, – they're sitting there, and, and, and Cassidy looks at Jesse, and Jesse goes, you know, if you were me and you know I killed the mayor, what would you do? And Cassidy says, well, I'd help you bury the body. I help you get rid of the body. So they uh, they shape up to get rid of the body. And uh, I, th- I thought this is a this is a pretty cool scene. Um, now they both have cards all the way out on the table in a way, and uh, they know what they're both capable of. And they they both just are like, you know, let's just you know we're better off as friends. Let's, so let's just keep this rolling. <laughs> let's just keep this rolling. That's yeah. a perfect way to describe it. it yeah, I mean, that's what it is. Like they're literally like th- this. <laughs> Which, by the way, the makeup on Cassie was amazing. Like, it was really. He, good. It looked really. It looked disgusting, and like he looked so. Like I, I felt bad for him. He just looked unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, it was a really good scene. I think that at the very beginning of it, I really liked how how cool and collected Emily is. Yeah. She's very just matter of fact, and she and now she's like, all right, I got to go pick up my kids, and she's like, all right, I'm gonna go do it, and doesn't tell Jesse like what happened, and yep. <laughs> just leaves and lets him sort it out for himself. It's kind of funny. I think the the Cassidy Jesse scene is interesting because in the comics he. He doesn't care that he's a vampire, really. He doesn't want him to kill people, though. Yeah. Like sometimes there are scenes where they get in like bar fights together and stuff, and he he tells him not to not to kill people. But other than that, he doesn't mind him being a vampire. And so now I think that we're kind of around to that where we just kind of kind of accept it and be like, okay, right, that's cool. And uh, he doesn't. Again, no one seems to give a shit that Miles is dead. He's yeah. just kind of like, oh, you man, you killed the mayor. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Guess we better go hide him. No, and it's. Uh, I mean, I thought it was interesting just the interaction between Emily and Jesse too. That like they, she, she basically, she knows everything now, in a way, minus the whole Genesis thing. She has no clue on that, but she knows everything else. Like she knows Tulip's role, she knows Cassidy's role as well as what he is. So basically, like these these two other characters that have come into Jesse's life that she had no idea of before, she now knows what their role is in a way. That's and, true. And so she's kind of just like, okay, like you clearly weren't telling me everything and you're not going to. And I, you know, she's just like, whatever, I'm going to just go about my day and move on and blah, 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 go on with my life. So I like to the, the little beat where Jesse tells Cassidy that he's sorry for a lot of things or something. And Cassidy says, you're the, you're the preacher with the Kung Fu moves and the pretty girl. And he's like, yeah. what, what do you have to be sorry about? Right. I thought that was pretty pretty good and then jesse says uh, says basically like something along the lines of he has a lot a lot to be sorry for and again a little vague and i like that we're now kind of delving into more of jesse's past like we saw what we know what he's capable of like fighting dudes hand to hand and then he right. whoops a bunch of dudes asses inside the church and then he's shooting dicks off and you know he's just an expert marksman as odin says yeah in, in the church and it's just funny how there seems to be no end to the crazy skills that jesse has for sure yeah, this might be a good spot for me to bring up some feedback that Alex actually sent me. By the way, Alex is out of town. I didn't mention that. And uh, I'm filling in for him. I'm John, again, from game, Midwest Game Nerds. Uh, but, yeah, so he's, <laughs> Hi, John. Welcome. Yeah, thanks. He sent me this uh, little bit of feedback here. He said, listening to the Preacher Insider podcast for Episode 8, Sam uh, Caitlin mentions that Genesis feels as though it has a home in Jesse. And Alex says that my guess is that Jesse can house Genesis unlike the other people it killed because Jesse is closer to 50-50 good and evil compared to previous hosts. The other hosts couldn't handle the devil and si- uh, the devil side of Genesis, but because of the darkness John Custer sees in Jesse and the turmoil that 
Jesse feels to be one of the good guys, he has the duality that Genesis also has. So very interesting concept here mm-hmm. uh, to see the good and evil balance there. Yeah, um, I I really I like it's it's fun picking apart things like this. Yeah, and no, that's a that's a great observation. Definitely, Jesse definitely is constantly struggling with with the you know his good nature and his bad nature. And exactly. He's gonna I think try to find a way to merge the two into into one and kind of because he seems to be living right now. He's trying to be one thing and he was another and he's he's kind of trying to have it one way or the other and not try to find a way to merge all these these two sides of his personality into one right. character which is kind of the way Jesse from the books is so i think that he's kind of starting to come to terms with with certain things about himself or at least knowing that at least it can be useful yep. in terms of protecting his church so yeah that that is that's awesome good right job on. alex and uh, okay, so this next scene flips to Ken Cannon in his office, basically just talking at Donnie, and he's talking about how Jesse Custer and how he's going to denounce God in front of the whole town on Sunday. Yep. Quick, quick little snippet there, uh, and then it flips back to Jesse and Cassie are back at Tulips. Cassie's trying to use the direct line to heaven, and Jesse tells him that they need angel hands. Cassie says he can get angel hands. <laughs> how many? He's like, how many do you need? <laughs> Three or four? <laughs> and uh, Jesse goes and calls Tulip and leaves her a message about, you know, uh, it's a story about her eating M&M pancakes at a diner when they were working back in 2010. And Jesse tells Tulip that for him, it's just her until the end of the world. And the scene flips to Tulip is uh, sitting across from Carlos, who is tied up. And she walks up to him holding a meat tenderizer and says, all right, Carlos. And then the scene ends. So, So do you think... First of all, that was an amazing scene. Yes. Dominic Cooper is just phenomenal at, at moments like this. He's consistently, throughout the series, proven to have these like little moments of just really, really taking this great dialogue and, and really just flourishing with it. And uh, we get the impression that Tulip is listening. She right. looks like she's listening to the message. And then when I saw she's seated opposite Carlos, I was kind of like, huh. Was she, or is she just looking into in the, looking at Carlos, trying to think of what to do? And I saw, right. so when she stands up, I saw her phone. I think it was her phone on the arm of the chair. So, was she listening to the voicemail, or did we just get hoodwinked again? Yeah, by the I don't show? know. Like, I, I kind of want to, I want to assume that she beat the crap out of Carlos, tied him up, and in that time span, Jesse was leaving the message, and then. While she takes a minute to, you know, kind of gather herself, she listens to the message, and that was just like the last bit of, you know, yeah, fuel she needed to finish the fight. Could know? be, could be. I wasn't sure because that when we initially see that shot of her, she looks like she's taking it in what he's saying. Yeah, and then it was revealed that maybe she's actually not hearing him at all, and he's just leaving this message in, in kind of a, kind of it's almost kind of a. Not a not a plea. It's it's an apology of sorts, but it doesn't sound like he's trying to stop her from what she's doing. Yeah. So it's uh, but what a what a great chunk of script right there. Like such a great story sure. and perfectly in keeping with both these characters and kind of painting that picture for us that they were once in a way their own twisted kind of body and Clyde. And there's kind of a sweetness and a real a real love story there, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That was great. Great scene. All right, and we get to the final scene of the episode, 
which is like a series of scenes, really. Uh, so we flash back to Cowboy McTavish's daughter laying sick in the bed, and then all of a sudden we replay all of the cowboy sequences mm-hmm. over chronologically. and over chronologically mm-hmm. about five or six times, I want to say. I didn't actually count how many times I went through it. but Yeah, they get, I mean, they obviously they get down to like 10-second recaps. They, they did a few times, and it was mm-hmm. gradually speeding up, and it turns out that the cowboy is in hell, or rather his particular instance of hell, which is suited particularly to him. Uh, Fiore and DeBlanc show up and ask him if he wants all of this to end. They say they have a job for him, and he says, what job? And DeBlanc says, come with us and we'll show you, and the cowboy shoots him in the head. Fiore is kind of stumbling and uh, like whimpering in a way and gulping, and uh, he tells the cowboy that the job is to kill a preacher, and then the storm outside gets really ripping, and the clouds and the lightning kind of hit the ground. It, it, like I don't that I don't know exactly what happened with the clouds and the lightning, but it looked as though like something may have come down. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, it's hard to tell. That. I mean, there it it basically kind of time lapses from Ratwater to Anvil. So yeah, Ratwater is Anvil. Yeah, and, and there's, it's just this wicked storm, and like it fades into. Yes, it, it fades into uh, um, Jesse and Cassidy digging in the desert, and they dig up the box that Cassidy buried the previous models of Fiore and DeBlanc in, and uh, Cassidy takes a hand from one of them and tosses it to Jesse, and uh, they toss the mayor's body in the hole along with the other dead animals, and as they're filling in the hole with dirt, Cassidy says, God, eh, going to Texas? And Jesse says, Sunday morning. And Cassidy says, that'll be something. Jess, Jesse goes, yep. And then the scene ends. <laughs> So those two are clearly back to normal. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that's the scene where Cassie says, how many do you need? Three yeah, or four? There's a whole bunch four? of them down there. Um, but yeah, to, to to rewind, that that was a good scene because then we, we get to see them kind of just burrowing out again. Yep. Even though they're dealing with bodies and severed angel hands and stuff. It's pretty funny. Uh, but the the scene with the cowboy is really interesting because I kept wondering at the end of each of those and the bottles are rattling and the, and I was like, is there a tornado coming through? And I was yeah. wondering like, is that how he dies? Like, does he get killed in that storm or what? Like, we don't really know exactly what happens to him or what leads him to hell. Yeah. Or was his act so egregious that he's immediately claimed and, yeah. and pulled right down to hell to start dealing with it? Yeah, we don't really know what, what the end cap of his story is. And, uh, at least in the show, we don't know why he, how he winds up exactly where he winds up, but the storm, the storm feels almost like, kind of him in a way, like it's this just unstoppable force that blew into Ratwater, right? Killed everything, and it's just been sitting on Ratwater, just, and then the the way the storm kind of comes, it's, it's tough to say exactly what happens because it looks almost like the storm is still there, and it turns to Anvil, and then it kind of goes away, and like you said, there's that lightning strike, and I think that it's just kind of reminding us that the. The cowboy was here all along, kind of, right? And uh, and he's now going to be the storm that's sent to take out Jesse. Do you think DeBlanc is dead? Do you think DeBlanc is gone? Um, I don't know. I I want to say based off of the way Fio, uh, Fiore was acting, that maybe that is the case. Like he looked legitimately frightened, which for two characters that can kind of like clone themselves i don't what, what was the term they used for like coming back i can't i can't remember it um, i don't even know i remember they just said it just happens <laughs> they did, they did <laughs> there is a term for it I yeah can't, they dropped it in episode six i can't remember what it is though but um uh, just the way he was reacting to what had happened makes me believe that maybe DeBlanc is no longer with us it's just toast yeah, yeah. no i i kind of think so too so that's kind of frightening in a way because i like the two of them yeah <laughs> 
Well, there's a minor spoiler for the comics, I guess. I don't know if I should really talk too much about it. I don't guess. do it. Okay. Sorry. I know you want to. I can tell by the way you look. <laughs> but I'm not uh, gonna let you do it, man. No, it's 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 very it's a very similar instance to what to that exchange in the in the bar in the hell bar with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's fine. It's it's very early in the comics. It's in like issue two or three. So whoever, if you read the first couple, you'll see it and right in. I'm just super pumped to see how the cowboy is incorporated into this story because you were left hanging for. What are, what are we, nine episodes? <laughs> yeah. All? yeah. Well, now you know. I mean, kind I of. Do. It just hasn't happened. It's it's. Uh, they. I've been dying to talk about this since episode two. Is that <laughs> when the cowboy first showed up? I think I it think was so, episode yeah. two or three. Uh, dying to talk about it, and I still can't really yet because they just haven't come out and said it. So next week for the finale, if I think it's next week, it's not two weeks away, is it? I know this is episode nine. Okay. But is the finale actually next week? I think so. Okay. Well, either way, during the finale episode, I have a feeling that Alex and I will do a bit of a, not spoiler, but we'll be able to discuss openly a lot of what's going on. No, that's so. cool. And I know Alex wants to do like a whole season wrap-up episode, too. Yeah. So he'll get, get Lance in here, and I'll, I'll be joining as well. Sweet. I have a party. I think it'll be a good one. Overall, I think this episode was awesome. I'm actually, I liked I'm it a at, lot. I, let me, I will say this. This episode got me to the point where I actually went on Reddit and started looking things up. And I, I probably spoiled a few things for myself, which is, I mean, I'm fine with that because I spoil all kinds of, like, I listen to the Film Nerds podcast and I listen through the spoiler sections for every movie you guys review. <laughs> and it doesn't bother me when I actually go see the movies. Like, I don't know why. Like, I know people that get livid over spoilers. And right. Like, I just don't care. It depends on how much. I think I've been desensitized by all the people who watch The Walking Dead. I just kind of gave up on spoilers in general. Yeah, Facebook is that. just The Walking Dead forum, yeah, basically. basically. Yeah. So, but overall, I think this episode was awesome. It, it, this one was the turning point for me in terms of, like, actually wanting to, like, pursue more Preacher. Like, really pursue more. Like, like I said, going on Reddit and reading more things. And now I want to, like, I actually want to go out and buy the comics and read them. And I want to, like, you know, be, I want to be more invested in this. So... Tony, man, the kind of the, it's it's such a phenomenal story, and the the show's the show has done a tremendous job so far of really really capturing a lot about the books and uh, and and kind of you know making it its own, That's which is good. which is important. It's yeah. good. I'm, it's good to hear that from someone who has such a high high regard for the comics. Because, I'm, uh, I mean, I am saying this now, obviously, because in episode nine we finally have like we've got the cowboy caught up to where he needs to be caught up yeah. to, and. That's going to be so good, and that, yeah. that's all I have to say. But well, and, and I know uh, Alex mentioned, I think, back in episode six that it was picked up for a second season. Yep, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get more Preacher, mm-hmm. uh, which is yeah, it's, that's that's super exciting. Uh, and like again, like it's just it's good to hear someone who has such a high regard for the comics like feel this way about the show because I know Alex received some like hate messages from some people, uh, assuming we were affiliated with AMC. I don't know if, if yeah I told so, you about that. Spoiler but, alert: We are not. An we're official not actually AMC a, podcast. Yeah, we're not. No. We're uh, we're just fans, man. Yeah, that was pretty funny. But, but the, yeah, the, the whole exchange was hilarious. It was. Yeah. In in the end, it was an honest mistake, I guess, but still strange. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But anyways, so uh, once again, you can find some more episodes of our podcast on g2tpodcast.com. dot com. Is that where the episode ended? Yeah, that was it. Oh. It ended with them burying the body, and then I credits. thought there was another scene. Okay. Nope, that was it. Unless I missed something. I don't think I did. No, I guess not. I watched it twice today, so it's hopefully probably not. I think I got it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. When you, when you, when you procure uh, particular episodes of TV shows off of means that are not necessarily the proper ones, 
uh, I don't know if I got everything. I just assume I did. Which no, I'm sure, I know it ended. Here's the thing: I was watching a lot of other Netflix over the weekend, and yeah. so where all these episodes end is <laughs> all a little bit jumbled up in my head right now. But yeah, I guess that. No, you're right. Yeah, that does that does close it out. Yeah. So. Again, G2TPodcast.com. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. We are also G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can email us at G2TPodcast at gmail.com. That is the letter G, number two, letter T, podcast. You can tell us what you think of our show. Share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on air. Send us corrections, observations, anything regarding Preacher or our podcast. Uh, You can definitely correct me because I don't know what I'm doing. Again, I'm filling in for Alex. I'm John from the Midwest Game Nerds Podcast. If you want to hear Nick and Alex talk about film with a few other of our friends, be sure to check out the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast at MidwestFilmNerds.com. And uh, the Midwest Podcast Network's Midwest Game Nerds, that's my show. You can listen to us at MidwestGameNerds.com. All of these shows are available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music. Please do go ahead and rate and review all of our shows. Gone to Texas, Midwest Film Nerds, Midwest Game Nerds. We would really appreciate any and all help you guys can do in regards to that stuff. Our theme music is the song All In by The Red Thread and is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license. Wow, that's kind of hard to say. Uh, <laughs> so all that being said, Nick, thanks again for joining me. And uh, these guys will have you back next week with uh, Alex, probably, most likely. Yes, sir. Cool. So we'll all here. that being said, go forth and speak the good word.